M2J, what's up? Says smash the like button from Baghdad, Iraq. That's what I'm talking about. We're worldwide. You know what I'm saying? Big shout out to Baghdad. And uh, yeah, hit that like button. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. Um, It helps us spread the the love. Uh, Pay it forward, right? Now, this is going to be good because I think only I can put the comments on. We need to get this over to you next week. But um, No, you got it. Go ahead and tell put, me. You put you put some comments on. You got to read them before you do because I'm, I'm at a bit of a delay here. Okay, got you. Um, okay, here we go. So now we're getting into the, to the, to the meat of the situation. Janet asks, please, can you talk about the different uses of diminished chords? When are they really dominant seven flat nine chords and when are they not? Oh. So I think that they're 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 diminished when the root. So what I'm playing here is you know G7, just kind of a crappy root position situation, right? Um, root seven, three, five, seven, um, flat nine. So that's a flat nine. When you put the put the root on B, that's a diminished, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. We. I think we talked about this. Just trying to remember what what we said about this. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing, right? So this, right? If I if I have B D F and A flat, right? B yeah. diminished, and I just put this G way down low, just as you were doing. Yeah. These are the same thing. They actually function a lot in the yeah. same way. Like this goes to C minor. Yeah. And this goes to C minor. Man, you're. Your voices are as crappy as mine today. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not Fred Hershing it. I'm definitely just giving some basic pop. But it's also the same scale. Yeah. Just starting at different places. B half hold for the diminished. G whole half. Sorry, B whole half. My bad. B whole half. And G yeah. half hold. So... Really, when you see a diminished seven, that means it's whole half starting from the root of that diminished seven. When you see dominant seven flat nine, that's half whole starting from the root of the... But they are really the same, a lot of the same notes. Not exactly, but a lot of the same notes. They're, yeah. they're, they're twins. You yeah. know, they're, they're fraternal twins. Kissing cousins, Kissing as we cousins. say down the south. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also call that brother and sister. A little inside <sighs> Southern joke. Hey, hey, I'm from Florida. I lived in Louisiana. My parents are from North Carolina. Woo. Okay. Um... So I would just add one other thing. Sometimes I'll think about the same example, like when it's diminished, B diminished, and we go up to that major seventh, which is part of that same diminished scale, half whole, whole half, depending on if you're thinking about it from the G or from the B. That, if you layer that on the G and the bass, is a sharp nine. So yeah. that's a little bit of a difference, even though they're complementary and they're both in their flat nine or sharp nine. But that, to me, gives it more of that diminished... And, and if it was a true B diminished, it might go up to C minor major seven or yeah. minor six. Yeah. You know, it's a small, small little thing, but I think important. Um, cool. Thanks for the question, Janet. So, okay, let me let me finish Janet's second question. When are they really dominant seven flat nine chords and when are they not? So when she sees a B diminished, yeah. when can she just assume that it's a G7? So actually, Janet, never. Never, right. Yeah, it is always, usually, especially in like modern real books, yeah. you, that is meant to be a diminished. Just know that it's very similar in function. Yeah. So like if you say, for instance, if you see B flat major seven to yeah. B diminished to yeah. C minor seven to F seven, right? And we have this over and over again. Yeah. 
So you wouldn't, you could substitute out a G7 for sure, but you wouldn't assume that. You would just do a B diminished, but knowing that it's really functioning the same way as that G7 flat nine. Mm. That's it. Cool. Cool. So actually, I threw up another um, uh, question by accident from Janet, but we're going to go with this too. I know you guys think, we're, why are we giving Janet so many questions? Well, that was an accident. Oh, Janet's great, though. <laughs> yeah, Janet's great. Yeah. I'm not watching this live, saving it for the podcast version, but how much am I missing? How edited is the podcast compared with the YouTube live? How are you asking questions if you're not watching live? That's incredible. But maybe she's just typing them in, but like, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not seeing Janet's questions in the chat, so I'm wondering where you're getting them from. I, have, I don't, they're showing up in this, this program you told me about. <laughs> Like, would you want to answer that one? Because I actually so I don't even know. I'm saving it for the podcast version, but how much am I missing? How edited is the podcast? It's not really at all. Andrew just breaks it up. He's not editing anything out. Okay. So it's the same version. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's from Yao. Maybe a different Yao. We have another Yao friend uh, who often shows up here. How to plan eight hours of guitar practice routine. How to organize this time. Eight hours of guitar practice. Adam, you're a guitarist. Uh, don't. <laughs> we stump you there? I've never practiced the guitar for eight hours in a row. Well, yeah, because you kind of view it a little bit as a second, not a second. It is a second inch. It, yeah. it is it's literally just a, a songwriting tool that I, yeah. it's ended up on its way to gigs. So somehow, uh, so yeah. Um, well, this shouldn't be that different How to than... plan eight hours of guitar practice. I mean, yeah. again, what you want to do, first of all, is take this in 50 to 90 minute chunks. Don't try to practice eight hours in a row because after about two hours, it's going to be diminishing returns. Take lots of breaks. Make sure that you have breaks planned in where you are not thinking about music and maybe just section it off into tunes, scales, rhythm work. Yeah. You know, that's what I would do. Maybe right. comp- composition and performance at the end. Yeah. Um, I would say, I, I, I think the only thing that's necessarily different for different instruments for practicing for large chunks or, or really any kind of practice concepts uh, would be any kind of physicality. Obviously, if you're playing a wind instrument, you have to think about your breath and the physicality that that, that demands. For guitar, I think you know there's always physical challenges and just not even challenge, just phys- physical situations for every instrument, right? So you want to be taking those breaks at, 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 at places but the main thing that's the same from all instrument is the mental side Mm. right so once you've kind of captured what you want to do in terms of how the physicality of the instruments can affect your practice routine most of it is about the mental side when we talked about earlier of like acknowledging that maybe 60 to 90 minutes is going to be your your peak time of productivity in your practice a lot of it like this can take years, if certainly not months, or, or and it can certainly be years if you're younger, where you get to the point where you're able to even begin to identify that on it and to predict that. Hmm. Like, like there's nothing wrong with practicing eight hours, and I didn't mean to suggest earlier. I mean, everybody that knows me for years knows that I'm a big proponent of practice, practice. I'm just like, you can't practice too much. Um, but you can practice a lot. It's not necessarily too much, but you can practice too much without hitting that peak amount now that peak amount might be 20 minutes something. yeah yeah it might even be five minutes but you've got to start to figure out when once you're going next level with your practice so that you make sure that that is your most in on uninterrupted and i don't just mean by your phone buzzing but i mean by like your brain being most attuned to be able to maximize what's going on if you're composing something if you're arranging if you're working on a specific technical challenge that's like 
overarching and, and more important than anything else you're doing. You've got to make sure that that is compartmentalized into that time, at least that you have the best chance of it being, so, you know, within that, that optimized time. So I would say when you're planning for eight hours, it's almost like, you know, try to plan the meat of that wherever that's going to be around what you're really, one of those big two things like you talked about, Adam, for the week, you know, make sure that it's based around that so that you're hitting that so that there's nothing wrong with practicing eight hours and only one hour of it was super productive. That's great because sometimes you have to practice eight hours to get to that. I mean, if it was as easy as just like, I'm going to get into it and as soon as I start, it's going to be, I'm going to be on 11 and then 60 minutes later, I'm done. That's great too if you can do that. But you have to kind of feel it or feel around. And then you want to be doing stuff that's fun and enjoyable for most of that time anyway so that you're enjoying the process. So that even when you're not making huge progress, you're having a good time. You're acclimating your ears. You're doing some good physical stuff that's helping to improve. So, um, but you might think about too with the eight hours thing building up to that. If you if you haven't, maybe you are. Maybe you have built up to the eight yeah. hours because if you're you know if you're doing eight hours and one hour is focused, that's fine. But at that point, you might consider working on your concentration a yeah. little bit, you know, so that you're you can you can extend that out without right. having because you're not going to have eight hours for the rest of your life probably. Right, because I'm thinking like really, I mean. If you're, if if you really, if you were saying like, okay, I had eight hours to practice, I would recommend probably about 90 minutes to two hours of that just being technical practice, just on hmm. a percentage basis, you know, because I feel like if you practice four hours, you might want to do 45 minutes, even an hour. I would certainly think about doing technical. The thing is two hours, you can't practice technique on any instrument for two hours straight. You've got to take a break well before that, or you're going to hit some, yeah. some physical limitations for most sure. likely. So, you know. There's a limit to any of these things that you can do. Now, when you get into like composition um, and that area, that's an arranging, which I know you've done a lot of this, Adam. That's where you can really extend for hours and hours with some really good productivity because to co compose something, you might spend seven hours of just failure. Like, oh, I've got this great thing and you write it and that's two hours. And then you look at it, you're like, oh, that's a Charlie Parker tune. Oops. You know, yeah, like, I've done that. <laughs> but Bro, then, we are the world once. <laughs> Man, and you felt great. You were like, oh my God, this is going to be a hit. Yeah, and I was and like, you were oh, right. <laughs> I just wrote We Are the World in 2012. <laughs> the hell's going on? It was a hit. You were right. So, um, yeah, I hope, hopefully that, that helped a little yow. Um, let's jump to, um, well, just a, a nice comment here from, from Jan or, or Jan, most likely. Regarding diminished chords, Barry Harris talked about moving a note from diminished chords to create dominant seventh chords. And that's kind of what you were alluding to. And yeah, we should definitely give props to the master, Barry Harris, who whose concept on this is, is truly masterful. And I still don't understand for some reason. <laughs> but I will one day. Um, okay, here's a good question. A little bit of a throwback to our earlier check-ins. You ready for this, Adam? Yeah, let's do it. Um, this is from A Practice, like first initial A, last name Practice. Uh, how much beer slash wine you guys drink? Whoa. Smiley face with laughter. Okay, why are you trying to pigeonhole us as like beer and wine guys? Why can't we be fancy bourbon guys or like champagne or champipple? I mean, the truth or, is we're, we're all of those things, guys. <laughs> I know. Well, you're, you're very disappointing in this area because – well, why don't you answer this one first? Because you have yeah, a very interesting I, perspective. No, I haven't. I haven't had anything to drink this entire pandemic, so I'm pretty much giving it up at this point. But it, before that, it was quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I preferred wine. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but you wait. But you you're very knowledgeable on beer. I went through a big beer phase. But should I tell him the the um, in my thirties I discovered wine. The Belgian most expensive can of beer I've ever. Uh, I can't believe you didn't story. like that, man. That was amazing. <laughs> I can't believe you. Okay, can I tell the story? Yeah, go real ahead. quick. Okay, yeah. so Adam, um, we were going to eat. I was going to meet somebody at a great restaurant here. Are they still open? I hope they are. I, I think, think they are. I, I think, think so. Ruben, were you meeting Ruben? Was it Ruben or Sean? I can't remember. Maybe both of them. Uh, but uh, what's the name of the place? I haven't been there in so long now. I wanted to shout them out. Olio. Olio, of course. Yeah. Olio. Over on Tower Grove here. Great uh, kind of Israeli restaurant. Mm-hmm. Israeli inspired. It's delicious. Delicious. Um, but I said I was going over there to grab some, grab a drink or some some dinner or whatever we were doing. And Adam was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it. He's like, but make sure you get this great, what's the name of it? Uh, I'm going to forget which one it was, but it was a Belgian sour. Yeah, Belgian yeah. sour beer in a can. And yeah. he's like, but he tells me the name. He texts it to me, but he's like, but you got to ask him for it. It's because they don't have a lot of it. It's kind of a known thing. Yeah, it's you only had available to, in the I can. forget what it was. It's one of the famous Belgian sours. Someone on here is probably going to know it. And they, we didn't actually have access to it here in St. Louis, but this restaurant had gotten a hold of a couple of, of, of cases. And so they had it, but you had to ask them because they just yeah. had been using it in a dish. <laughs> Right, right. It was like a whole thing. And he's like, they only have it and it's in a can. I was like, ah, man, this guy, <laughs> get a can. Let me get a PBR too. All right, whatever. So I asked him for it. Probably would have liked the PBR more. <laughs> and so it comes out and it was not good. But it was amazing. It was kidding? not amazing. Sour, sour really, really, um, I think, describes it nicely. But basically, it, not only was it not good, it was $28. <laughs> And so I kind of, compl- I didn't really complain. I was like, well, I mean, I asked for it. It was from behind the counter. I was like, thanks, Adam. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, I'm, an, I'm, an, you know I'm a fancy guy. He is fancy a fancy tastes. guy. All right, let's get back to some music questions. How about that? Yeah. Um, Sergio. Okay, this is a question that we get a lot um, over the years and is uh, an important issue from Sergio. As pianist, how do you interact with guitar players in a comping situation? Um, so I'll just throw out a couple of things. Every situation is different. There's, there's no, like it, it really comes down to number one, listen, you have to listen to what the guitarist is doing. I mean, obviously with pianist and guitar, you have a situation where, um, you know, you can really clash, but I look at it as just an opportunity to really blend. You know, it's like a smile is just a frown turned upside down. You ever heard that one, Adam? I have. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Take advantage of your colors. Sergio, make sure that you are taking full advantage of the range. Yes. Because we have notes that the guitar can't hit. Right. And so we can we can work our way from the ends. And, you know, just be very mindful of what the guitarist is playing. That's not to say that you both can't play thick chords at the same time. You totally can. Right. Um, but there's more to it than that. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, too, um, I love that, you know, the range thing. But it's a great opportunity to really listen. And, like, you got to learn the guitar at least a little bit. So that you understand how they put voicings together, then you can understand, you can start to guess until you can actually hear exactly what they're playing. So they, like, if you can't hear what they're playing, you're not gonna be able to fit in with them except for going out of their range. So once you understand how voicings are put together on a guitar as opposed to the piano, like there's just certain things that guitarists can't do that we can do uh, certain ways. So once you start learning that, you'll better be able you, you'll be able to have a smaller range of possible voicings when you hear one to be able to figure out what it is and, and then it just becomes a matter of trial and error but if you're listening don't be one of those where it's like okay would you want to comp or you want me to comp no i mean although it, there's times when that works 
And if the, if the music calls for that, but yeah. don't just do that because you're lazy or scared yeah. or don't know what to do. You Although gotta, if you're lazy or scared, don't play. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, you ha- you're going to have to figure it out eventually. And it does. There is a way that it works really, really well. Yeah. Uh, we're going to skip back up towards the top because we did. Paul makes a good point that we skipped some. So I'm we'll sorry, go, man. We'll I'm go to Paul's up top. Is there a good way to practice hearing lines or phrases that are outside of the changes? Wait, let me find this. What, what's the name? Paul. He's he's. A longer question between oh Paul Ian okay I see and it. And I, got, I got it I got it I'm all over that I'm yeah, all over that. that let me read it so I understand it too is there a good way to practice hearing lines or phrases that are outside of the changes or is playing out more of a technical concept moving a shape up or down so um, that's a good way to think about it I, I I would say that important way that I've thought about this and probably practiced it at one point to a to a degree is to try to combine those so. Yeah, it's a technical concept, but don't just think about it. It's not technical as in like something that you need to learn, work on your technique. Moving a shape up or down, but it needs to be a melodic idea based on a shape. It can't just be a shape. So in other words, if you're, you know, um, if the shape is this over a, over a minor, you don't want to get into a thing where it's like I am playing out, not right. But if it's so, I'm basing it on a shape, and, and really for me, I never feel that constricted by the shape is just a jumping off point. Yeah. But even as you're practicing it and working on that, hear it melodically so that your shifting of it, the connector becomes the melody because the 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 the, the trick to playing out is being able to play melod- like let the melody and and likely the rhythm although the rhythm can be something that you play with too but the melodic content be the connector between when you're in and when you're out the harmony is going to be out so yeah. something has to link it together unless you're just going to go totally random with everything yeah but the melody has to be strong and so a shape on its own is not is not necessarily melodic it has to be linked up with a rhythm and some kind of turn in the me- you know something that turns that shape into a melody yeah and actually um the sort of simpler you can play this the, the more effective it can be i just did a gps here on youtube on friday on a brad meldow lick on solar which is all about brad playing out and how how he approaches it and so the lick itself you know it does two bars of c minor seven and then, you know, a 2-5 to F, and instead of F, it goes to F sharp. Or, right. You know, everything else is in F, but he's implying F sharp minor because it's going to F minor eventually, right? Yep. And so when you practice that, your instinct is to be like, you know, on the 2-5... Which is fine, but the simpler you can make it, the more melodic you can make it... The, act, the more effective going out actually is. So people are expecting. But they get. But there's melody being created there, even though you're taking it out. Yeah, great stuff. 